Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. From the Apostrophe Podcast Network. Hey, listeners. We recorded this episode a while back, so although we do touch on Indigenous issues, we don't specifically address the more recent discoveries at former residential school sites. And now, on to the show. They all come from the unknown north. Talent, drive, and a pride worth paying for. Just because they're above the 49 parallel It doesn't mean we shouldn't celebrate them just as well So give it up for these Canucks Because our self-promotion sucks And if they all went away, we sure wouldn't miss them The Canadian star system Hello and welcome back to the Canadian Star System, a podcast where we speak with some of Canada's most talented people and try to figure out what makes them so good and what makes Canada so bad at celebrating our own. Each episode, our star will not only shine, but also shine the spotlight on another talent who they think is worthy of wishing the best of success. I'm your host, Steve Patterson, and if you don't know me, that's okay. It just means the premise of this podcast is justified. With me, as always, is my producer, who is a star in her own right. And I hate that expression, by the way. She's just a star. She's won an award much more recently than I have here in Canada. She's just a star. And her name is Diana Francis. Hi, Diana. Hello, Steve Patterson. How are you doing? I'm great. Thank you. Thanks for doing this again with me. Week in, week out. It's like a thing now. I have no choice. I'm contractually obligated. That is true. Well, thank you for being here at this mandatory meeting. I'm very excited about this mandatory meeting that we're about to have because our uh, celebrity guest today is what I would consider to be comedy royalty in the whole sketch comedy world. And it made me wonder, Steve, I know you are a very accomplished stand-up comedian, but have you ever done sketch comedy? Yes, I did. I was in a sketch group very, very briefly called Three Speed Walking Stick, as it turned out. The name was the funniest thing we did. <laughs> uh, went downhill quickly. We did have some time. We got some time on the Second City main stage after the other shows to do our sketch group. And I, I didn't realize what a weird thing. I don't know why I got that space, but 
there was a lot of much more accomplished performers that should have been doing it. So I apologize to anyone who I took the stage time of during that time. You know, the the coveted 11.30 p.m. spot on Friday nights at Second City stage. And what happened to the group? Oh, who knows, Diana? You know, they all go off and I think that sketch troops are like rock bands, right? There's big fights. Like you were in a you were in a group that won a Canadian comedy award. Why don't you tell us about sketch oh, troops? Yeah, I was. I was in a, in a sketch group called uh, Canadian Content, which I was convinced would get us a lot of grants. It did yeah, not. It did not. <laughs> no, but we recorded a couple of albums. We performed at comedy festivals around the world. We, we won the 2008 Best Sketch Group Award for the Canadian Comedy Festival or Canadian Comedy Awards. And we even produced a show in the West End of London. And then we did what 99% of sketch groups do. We imploded and never spoke to each other again. So, you know. I mean, this could be a whole podcast in itself. We don't have the time, but it, let me just ask you just on a theory question. Do improv troops stay together longer because they have to follow the yes and rule and sketch troops don't? They can say, no, I don't want that suggestion and just leave. Is that? Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> okay. It's very right. toxic. Very toxic. And that is enough about us. That didn't happen to our featured guest this week because he is part of what I would say is one of the best-known sketch comedy groups, not just in North America, but the, but the world. Together with his fellow kids, I'm doing air quotes here, he's been a fixture on stage and screen since the 1980s. Their hit movie, Brain Candy, is celebrating its 25th anniversary this year, and they're back with a new eight-episode series that has been billed as the first Canadian Amazon original series. He's also the creator of Young Drunk Punk, and a producer of the Tall Boys sketch show, one of the original kids in the hall, ladies and gentlemen, Bruce McCullough. Woo! Woo! Bruce! Yay! I hope I pressed my camera at the right time. You sure did. <laughs> you look fantastic, my friend. I'm like a young William Shatner. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say just a slightly older young Sheldon. You are really oh. hold. You are really holding it together, sir. Thanks. You just stay away from the gin for a few days and you start to shine. <laughs> it comes back. <laughs> yeah, it comes back. <laughs> I love I because you know, I you know, I look look, all all your fellow kids look look, they still look great, but some of you've really held it together as far as the, the follicle wise. You got a great head of hair going. Yes, I guess you can't see the wig from from where you're sitting. <laughs> no, but well, you uh, yeah. <laughs> Nor the edge of the girdle. But uh, I'm here and I'm uh, I'm I'm ready to roll. Well, well, you found an ideal angle from whatever whatever you're doing there. I don't want to make this whole interview, Kids in the Hall, God knows you've done many, many things uh, since then and are continuing to do so. I just have to ask right out of the gate, how, how pumped are you for the reboot on Amazon? It's exciting. It's really great. I mean, we were writing before COVID happened and it was like a really scary thing. It's like, oh my God, we're going to go. We're going to be the first show out of the gate. And then <laughs> we all stopped for almost a year. And I think it's actually made it better. We're reading the material and going, hey, this stuff is really good. <laughs> You're surprised? No, I mean, it could, it could, well, it could have gone either way, you know, but I think we're all excited to do it, but not too excited, which is a, a, an important show business thing. <laughs> You're not too excited to perform. Do you still have the energy for performing once you get together with the with the troupe again that you that you did or are you having to find are you guys doing modifications in the sketches now or what well I, there's a scene where i have to carry scott over a threshold and i have to keep dropping him and picking him up so i'm i'm i'm, I'm in training for that one but no the energy that you need when you're with the kids in the hall is just 
would you guys please shut the F up? Because <laughs> everybody just talks over everybody and it's just, yeah, it's, that's the, the frightening part. But no, it's, it's always fun to be together. And especially, you know, we've had dinners and done tours and stuff, but it's really cool to make a thing again after, you know, several years. And are there wranglers that have to bring you guys together as you're talking about everyone's got ideas, everyone wants to have their ideas made into sketches? Who is there a, a showrunner outside of the guys that, that ultimately says this is what we're going to do? Yeah, our, our own Gary Campbell, who uh, we worked with forever on, you know, who comes with us from Calgary, actually, was sort of in the first version of the Kids in the Hall. He's the guy that people call on the weekend and go, I don't understand Bruce's sketch. I'm not crazy. I just lost my glasses. Why are we doing that? And so he he sort of uh, is the ombudsman of all of our things and goes, no, that doesn't make sense, Mark, and fishes out all the funny. So it's it's always good to have another person who has an outside eye, I think. You know, one of your one of the early uh, early people in Kids in the Hall was actually one of my very first improv teachers in Vancouver, Frank Van Keeken. Yeah. Scared the crap out of me, oh, that guy. Poor you. Poor you. <laughs> he had a great way of dealing with the audience some nights. Like, why, why should I make you laugh? Why is this contract important? So, um, <laughs> well, it's so ironic that he would ask those questions because it, when we were doing Rookie Night, he would say to us before we stepped on stage, all right, everybody, have a good show. If you ask a question, I'm throwing you out of the theater. <laughs> like he didn't want us to ask questions in scenes, which is a good improv skill to learn. But we were all terrified as young rookies because you'd be like, hey, mom, what's for dinner? Because I'm really hungry and am you going to eat whatever you give me. <laughs> like, <laughs> and But the question you want to ask is, why are you teaching? <laughs> <laughs> See, that's why that's how Bruce made it out of that system. Yeah. Now, is there a difference in the styles? You you guys kind of came together as uh, you know, Western Canada guys and then in the Eastern Canada, the Toronto guys and the Western Canada the Prairie guys yourself and and uh Kevin was it was uh, was that the makeup of the group yourself and Kevin came into the other guys? Or? No, Mark Mark and I came from Alberta. Right. Uh, and made our way across the prairies to make it. <laughs> and then yeah, and then Scott came last and Kevin and Dave were friends, you know, in Toronto. And I thought Kevin, I actually thought Kevin was in Winnipeg. That's why I was making that mention. He's in Winnipeg now. He yeah. moved there for a woman and mm. which allows him to say whenever he wants, I moved to Winnipeg for you. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that's, that's where he is. <laughs> is. Did you find a difference in styles between the performers from, from the prairies and the performers from Toronto? I don't think so. I mean, we were our only thing. Like there was us and all the rest of the people. There was us in Second City with that music and those chairs and all that. Yeah. Um, and there was just there was just us. So I think we are all the same. You know, it's like, you know, Dave's from Etobicoke and I'm from Brayside, but we're sort of the same, you know. And then we'll just get we'll talk about this quickly and move on as well. But you wrote for SNL for some time for the the machine that's SNL and uh, Lauren Michaels, of course, who brought you guys down to the States. Sort of different people's experience with SNL over the different eras. What was your experience with SNL like? Well, I, you know, I went there with Mark and it, it was actually what really made me make a lifelong commitment to the troupe because I thought, oh, the troupe's funny. But there's going to be other great minds. And I went there and I didn't do that well. And all the people we met didn't quite click with us, even though they were sort of brilliant in a way. And so I don't know if I did that well there, nor did Mark. So it was, no, let's go back to our our wives 
our mistress isn't that sexy. <laughs> I'm so happy to hear you say that, not just because of, of course, I want you guys to be together because you, I, I uh, grew up with you guys, but also because there's so many great people that came through there, didn't quite click, and have still gone on to amazing careers on their own and or with their their original projects. So. Well, it's also a place where, you know, as I try to do things like, you know, with the tall boys and hopefully someday with folklords, I learned how to empower the people who are the creators. And that machine is so gigantic that a lot of people are running around. If you read much about SNL, aren't that happy because there's just too many writers and not enough airtime. And what I believe in is what we got, which is it's our own show in the way that it can be. And I think not everybody from SNL always feels that. I, I hear that. I mean, it does it does? I haven't watched SNL in a little while. I'm sad to say I've got some favorite things, but it became apparent. I think you guys were the uh, for me anyway, were the original ones that knew how to end a sketch. I mean, you never went longer than it had to be. He's hip. He's 45. It's always like a one, <laughs> a one minute thing. You're in, you're out. Bang. Strobe light goes off and, and you're out. Do you think that's one problem that's facing comedy sketch writers, SNL and otherwise, is finding that ending for sketches, trying to make them this three, four minute thing? Well, it is always the hardest thing. And we always talk like endings are the hardest. And yeah. let's let's spin them. Let's not do a, a like an, a wide shot like SNL does sometimes at the end of their sketches. But it is really it's the, it's almost the hardest thing to have a, a punchline ending or even an ending that twists or even is satisfying which isn't like, hey, check, please, and then sort of quietly <laughs> go to the next thing. Now, uh, sorry, hey, Diana, I know you're, I could hear you winding up for a question. I was going to ask, I always find it amazing with Saturday Night Live because so many of those talented writers and performers come from Second City and the structure of Second City sketches, like they're, they, they literally have like, a, it's, there's a five point structure and you know, starting with your platform and then heightening and then the the tilt and then the second tilt and finding the ending in your beginning. And I've always wondered if the math of that doesn't seem to really translate to some of those SNL sketches. And I'm always just wondering if it's, is it just because they built the set and they just need to spend an extra two <laughs> minutes on it? Uh, no, I think, I don't think they bring that methodology to bear. Like, hmm. I think they just, they wouldn't know, you know, and, and even now working with tall boys, I, you know, I'm not a second city person. They talk about the game in a sketch. We get, we get notes from Amazon. Uh, start, can we get to the game quicker? And it's like, <laughs> which one of you took, you know, one <laughs> class? Of, you know, <laughs> so I think, you know, and for, for kids in the hall, we never discussed the game, the thing, the twist, the whatever. It was just all what's the comedy and like, when are we bored and when should it twist and it goes too long and it's the same joke over and over or whatever. I don't even, when I've taught sketch writing, sketch comedy writing, I don't even know how to teach it. I don't even know what it is. So it's, it's all, <laughs> it's all instinctive, I think for, you know, for us. Uh, can I just say bless you for saying that? I, I see people, uh, I'm not from the sketch or improv world, I'm from the stand up world and the people that I see signing up to teach stand up I, I think to myself you you need another 10 years of doing it yourself right. before you should be teaching it it's really strange to me when people are trying to teach others comedy while they are still trying to work up the ranks themselves so let's uh, let's move off of that let's talk tall boys you brought it up a couple times now you're uh, a big uh, supporter producer director on tall boys uh, you're filling all those roles right now i am yeah and we're 
we're just getting ready. We're writing our third season right now, which will go in uh, production after Labor Day. So it's all good. Now, and it's right on the heels of Baroness von Sketch, a fantastic show. That Do you think there's a renaissance of Canadian sketch right now with, uh, with these two things? Well, it's out there. You know, I mean, that's th- this is my thing, which is, you know, when I came back to Canada a couple of years ago, it's like, it's there. Where do we put it? I mean, comedy, the comedy station, you know, the Bell one doesn't really do anything now. There's... <laughs> You know, where do where do young there's a lot, you know, there's 50 great comedy troops or maybe there's 200. Like there's a lot of great uh, sketch comedy out there. I certainly know that. But, you know, not all of them are on TV. But and but they can they can get it out there directly themselves, which is something that you guys didn't. You guys were so fortunate and through your hard work, you you had a major platform to be on. Everyone now can put their sketch out there. And it can be, it's outside of their room anyway. People can see it. They don't need that, that stage anymore. Do you think that's a good thing or a bad thing for, for sketch? Well, I think, it's, I think it's a good thing. I mean, it's a lot of hard work. You know, when you look at lots of great stuff, I know Tony Ho is a really great comic sketch troupe, but you'd look at their well-made little films and they got 3,000 hits. You know, I mean, you know, as we segue eventually to Folklords, I saw them from YouTube and sure. You know, so it get it gets out there, but it's finding people. The critical mass of finding, you know, getting it out there is also also still really hard. I think. It, I, I do. Do you also find that like it's changed obviously in the last few years now that we have the platform of YouTube? Because prior to that, it would be okay, produce your own show in a live venue of some sort. You know, Sunday night at uh, you know the the restaurant that ha- happens to have a stage. But those skills are so important, especially when you're starting out as a comedian to not just know how to write, but also how to produce. And it sort of seems like a lot of people have gone from because there's just not as much real estate anymore to be able to do live shows in small venues that don't cost a fortune to, okay, well, we're going to learn how to produce short sketches and put them on YouTube. It's a different skill, but still really valuable. Yeah, it's and it is actually a totally different skill set, which is like with the Tall Boys. When I met them, they they were a, a, a live troupe, and actually they hadn't had years with, uh, of experience, which was maybe why it was easier for them to segue to TV and kind of be naturals. But it really is a different skill set, and it's a lot to ask of a young artist or a young group to like come up with ideas and also shoot them and decide how to do them, and then you also have to get a sound guy. You know, it's like or the sound has to be good. It's a lot to ask, you know, the uh, the do it yourself. You know, it's like we're always auditioning. It's Mm -hmm. always trying to figure something out. And it's a lot to ask. Let's talk. Well, we'll talk about the tall boys. I read something that you had said before, and then I thought I would ask to you again, because why should I think of all my own questions when you've been asked a question before? You talked about in your work with tall boys, not only are you helping them with the sketch development and, and that side, but you're also helping them navigate through the showbiz world and avoiding mistakes, including some that you guys made yourselves back when you were starting out. Could you share one of those mistakes with us that you, that you see as a mistake? Uh, cancer boy? Uh, doing cancer boy? Um, <laughs> no. Well, no one ever, like no one ever told me I shouldn't yell at someone. I, like I came up through the 80s. You know, if I didn't like a, a scene, why wouldn't I be yelling at someone who was performing in it and wasn't that good at it? Or, you know, when <laughs> Lauren Michaels, when I'm doing Superstar and he says, I'll phone the head of Paramount and yell because they're not giving Elaine Hendricks her money. 
And so I phone the head of Paramount and I start yelling. Well, I shouldn't have done that. So no one, no one tells you like what's going to happen in a meeting, that you should be gracious, that you should thank people, that you should send notes, that you should not make it all about like, so those sort of things, which the tall boys naturally have more of those skills than, you know, the five pugilists that were the kids in the hall, <laughs> you know, no one, no one killed me or taught me that stuff. And you're, so you're being a champion now when you guys didn't, didn't necessarily have it, but you still did so re- incredibly successfully and are still doing incredibly successfully. I guess, you know, our, our audience on this, well, currently it's just us, but uh, hopefully there'll <laughs> be other people listening outside of this. Is there a lesson that you could pass on to Canadian performers uh, who are out there listening, who are just, I think, naturally inclined to be pretty polite on, on most and gracious on most uh, instincts, but you know, you also have to have a little of that pushing yourself forward, right? If you if you want to get beyond our borders. So when you guys went down and suddenly had a show in the States, how did that change things for you guys? We still didn't know what was happening. Like we, and certainly on the business level, you know, I remember like TriStar when they used to exist, flew in to see us at the end of our tour because Lauren Michaels wanted them to. And then we said, what are you guys doing here? We're tired. <laughs> We did two shows in, you know, in New York last night. Like, you don't understand anything that's going on. And the one thing that Canadians don't understand, in a way, because we're a quiet and beautiful people, is, you know, people go down to the States. And when I used to live there, I was there for 18 years. And they would, they would have meetings and they go, this place is amazing. I'm going to get so many jobs because Americans have energy. That's just their default, to be complimentary and energetic. And I remember when I was flown down once to meet on a film at one point and my agent, my American agent said, did you declare yourself? What does that mean? Well, did you say that I'm going to make this a hit film? I said, God, no, I just kind of pooed on the script and kind of left the room. <laughs> and it's like, so that's what a Canadian does. They poo on the script, they leave the room and they think they're going to get a job. But in America, they go, this could be amazing and I want to make it amazing. So I think, I actually think people declaring themselves and being passionate about stuff and saying, like following up and going, hey, I really liked that interview. You know, are you still hiring? I think that's something that we don't do, you know, culturally. Let's move on to Young Drunk Punk, which is your, basically your story growing up. And you based it in Calgary, where you, where you grew up. Can you tell us about the Calgary scene? Because that's not always thought of as a, as a hotbed for Canadian production. But there's a lot of great stuff, a lot of great people based there and a lot of great stuff coming out of there. Oh, there's like three or four, you know, Heartland is a different kind of show than I do, but it's, you know, a great show. And there's Wyona Earp and, you know, a bunch of other things there. Like every city in Canada that I've been, there is Regina, Saskatoon, Vancouver, all of them. There's a bunch of theater people who are amazing that no one knows of. There's a bunch of comedy people that are working away for drink tickets that nobody knows about. And Calgary and Edmonton are no exception. They have got lots of people who are sort of doing their best, but there's not a lot of places for them other than a small part in Young Drunk Punk or a small part in Wyona Earp, et cetera, you know? Well, and, and Jan Arden is another person who's a champion of, of Calgary. She's got her show out there too, I think, that she's making. So it's, you know, I, I think if you, have, if you have a couple of productions going on out there in the comedy world or otherwise, you're doing, you're doing pretty well in Canada right now. So I do wish Calgary the best. What can you tell us about the city of Calgary that we might not know? Because I think when most Canadians think of Alberta, they think of the oil and gas industry, they think of Stampede. 
but you you're coming from obviously an artistic background in Calgary. What what's something that people don't know about Calgary? Well, One Yellow Rabbit, they've got like the coolest alternative theater probably in the world that that has been making their own shows for longer than the kids in the hall have been together. And they're world renowned. They have a high performance rodeo where they get 100 acts from around the world every January, except this last January. So the theater scene and the music scene and the weird people scene in Calgary is really vibrant. And also because there's not that many. So all the dancers hang out with all the artists and all the so, you know, it's pretty vibrant in that way. Can I tell you something that blew my mind about Calgary? My boyfriend lives there and he works for WestJet and Side note, a weird time to be in a long distance relationship with somebody with flight benefits. You can't do either either. But when I one of the first times that I went out there, we went to a brewery that allowed dogs and children. And I was my brain exploded. I was like, this is just the best thing ever. Kids and dogs and beer running around. It was so oddly progressive that it surprised me that it wasn't something that was being done at the time in Toronto or Vancouver. Yeah. And Calgary, like, you know, Madison, Wisconsin, hipster place. Calgary is a hipster place. Like there's always <laughs> hipsters that find that find each other in a, in a place like that. You know, I, I know I've been to, you know, I've been to Calgary a number of times to do shows and to Edmonton and to Red Deer. I'm just dropping names now. But <laughs> it's, it's the, that battle of Alberta that goes on in hockey between Edmonton and Calgary. Does that extend to the artistic communities or the cities in general or is that just the hockey teams because those are i've seen you know legitimately good fist fights in the stands between oh, flames fans oh no. and oilers fans yeah no i think i think artistically it does as well maybe with with grant money more than anything okay <laughs> humorous story when we were doing last kids in the hall time we did calgary and then we drove up in our stretch limo uh <laughs> with weird lights to uh, to Edmonton. We got to the outskirts of Edmonton and at the red light, we saw a guy in a dump truck get out of his truck, grab another guy out of a truck, pull his shirt off his head, pull him out of the truck, and the two of them started fist fight, fighting. And I thought, yep, I'm back in Edmonton. <laughs> that they just they just have those guys there instead of the welcome to Edmonton sign. It's just That's exactly what it was. Yeah. Two dudes fist fighting. I uh, I hosted something, I believe it's called the Ampia Awards, like the Alberta Industry Awards. And I hosted them once in Calgary and once in Edmonton. And I was pretty amazed that the Calgary Awards show anyway was really the people that the business type of people that made the movies and Edmonton was all about the actor, like the, the after party in Edmonton really, really was really different than the Calgary party. It, it seemed like Edmonton was all about the fun. And I think I talked to Sean from, um, from, uh, God, why, why am I losing the name of the series now? We were just talking about Heartland. I'm sorry. It's a major, some massive show. We're probably never going to guess now because it took me that long to think about it. But <laughs> Sean was saying, yeah, Calgary's where you get the money to make the movies, but Edmonton's where it's fun to make them or something. That was his take on it. We'll be right back after the break. Hey, Steve, you fancy yourself a comedy writer, right? Well, yeah. I mean, I've written a couple articles. I've written a couple books. Sometimes I write the beginning of this show, so... But wouldn't you like to be a better comedy writer? Uh, I guess there's always room for improvement. Then have I got the right writing course for you. It's called Just the Endings Comedy Writing Workshop, and it picks up right where most writing workshops leave off, at the funny part. I don't understand. Of course you don't. That's why you need this workshop. See, Steve, every comedy writing workshop teacher tries to teach you a formula to be funny. 
But in truth, all you really need is a killer ending to your bit. So that's what Just the Endings Comedy Writing Workshop teaches. Just the Endings. Get it now? I guess so. Uh, Who teaches this workshop? Oh, there is no teacher. Just people who all think they're funny talking over each other until the bell sounds and the session ends. Well, that doesn't sound very instructive at all. That's because comedy can't be taught, Steve. But non-funny people don't know that. And funny people deserve to be paid by non-funny people. So that's where this course comes in. Just the Endings Comedy Writing Workshop will donate 100% of proceeds to actual funny people who don't have time to teach comedy to non-funny people because they're too busy being booked to perform comedy they wrote. Right, but isn't the point of a comedy writing course to become a better comedy writer? Oh, Steve, you're so naive. Comedy is all about the game. Oh, you mean like networking with industry execs and getting excited about ideas and leaving kind little notes? Oh no, Steve, the game isn't real. But the money people pay for comedy writing workshops is. So tell all your non-funny friends to sign up online at Just the Endings Comedy Writing Workshop using the promo code STARSYSTEM and you'll get 10% off, which is still 90% too much. Okay, I can't wait to see how you're going to find the ending for this bit. Check, please. Oh, that is good. I'm Nick Friedman. I'm Lee Alec Murray. And I'm Leah President. And this is Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect. We are a new show breaking down the anime news, views, and shows you care about each and every week. I can't think of a better studio to bring something like this to life. Yeah, I agree. We're covering all the classics. If I don't know a lot about Godzilla, which I do, but I'm trying to pretend (laughs) that I don't right now. Hold it in. And our current faves. Luffy must have his due. (laughs) Tune in every week for the latest anime updates and possibly a few debates. I remember, what was that? (laughs) Say what you're going to say and I'll circle back. You can listen to Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect every Friday wherever you get your podcasts. And watch full video episodes on Crunchyroll or the Crunchyroll YouTube channel. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. And now back to the Canadian star system. All right, we're going to kind of start to wind down this section so that you can bring in your feature guests that you brought, and I can't wait to uh, for everyone to get to know them. First, we have this little section, Bruce. It's I'd like to ask you quick questions. The section yep. is called Quick Questions. Quick questions. We've not Good. thought of a new name. For it. <laughs> I will not be taking notes. Putting you right on the spot here. You've named a lot of Canadian cities now. Favorite three Canadian cities, top of your head. Go, Calgary. Toronto, Halifax. Oh, I love it. I love it. I love that the East Coast got a representation there. The uh, the others will get angry. You'll get letters, but it's okay. This one's one that maybe you can answer for us. Best long-held note to end a song. Multiple choice. Uh, A, Sheriff's When I'm With You. B, Journeys Don't Stop Believing. Or C, (laughs) Scott Thompson's I'm Gay. 
I, I, I have to go with, with my gay boy, Scott Thompson. <laughs> I, I, I re-listened. I've been listening to the Brain Candy soundtrack since I knew we were going to speak with you. And it is a fantastic soundtrack. So many great artists on there. Matthew Sweet, Shadowy Men. But I forgot that, that Scott at the end of that song holds that note so ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. Well, don't forget Bellini's long dark 20s which is one of the greatest titles for a song ever (laughs) (laughs) how fun do you have putting music into the comedy you guys don't don't always do it but i mean you guys are great at it whenever you do it well it's for me it's it's what i came from and the most important thing was what music are we playing between scenes even when we are in calgary so even now as we go back to the kids in the hall and it's like yeah we got the shadowy man again this is gonna be fun yeah that's amazing the music's the important thing Right. I love the marrying of comedy and music, I have to say. Most hip thing that current Bruce McCullough has done recently. Um, recycled nude. <laughs> See, Diana, I just said whatever came into my head and it wasn't a good thing at that time. <laughs> <laughs> is the thought like going to the end of the recycling with nothing on? Is that what recycled? nude? Well, is? it's more it's more honest if you recycle in the nude. <laughs> Somehow. <laughs> <laughs> like you're putting your clothes in with it that's a, yeah yeah i'm trying it's to very... i'm trying to picture and i'm kind of wishing i wasn't it's yeah very... <laughs> sorry oh i triggered diana oh, Lord. <laughs> it's very thorough <laughs> best canadian cocktail from a young drunk perspective it, well it's got to be ryan ginger and and a punch in the head <laughs> from a guy in a dump truck outside of Edmonton. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Just to wash it off, just helping you wash down your drink. I don't know if this is a quick answer or not, but hopefully you can find it. Biggest difference between Canadian comedy and American comedy. We don't try so hard. Well said. Oh, God yeah. bless you. God bless you, sir. Oh, so well said. This is the last thing we'll do before segueing to your featured guest, if we could. Complete this sentence. The Canadian star system is. I wanted to say broken, but <laughs> is viewed through a cloudy sky. Well, there is a ladder for Canadian entertainers, but it's on it's horizontal. It's on the ground. <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's an agility ladder. I love yeah, it. Yeah, you're yeah. In, yeah, you're in, you're out. It's yeah. more like a football thing. <laughs> it's part of the participation routine. That's yeah, right. Yeah, it's yeah, a flex yeah. darmang. I love it. And then this is the last one, sir. And then uh, then we'll bring in your your guests. Being the next door neighbor to the United States is like watching your drunk uncle make that mistake again. <laughs> <laughs> I have no notes. Perfect answer. Bruce McCullough, we are not going anywhere, but uh, I, would you please do the honors of introducing your feature guest that you're going to help introduce to the world today? Well, they're an exciting duo that formed in Edmonton. I feel like Ben, one of the two of them was all over Canada, but they formed in Edmonton. They do a lot of interesting videos and live performance. They do a sort of take no prisoners approach. It's really like edgy stuff. Todd is First Nations. So a lot of the stuff comes from that point of view. Ben uh, is Jewish. So he has a lot of things that come from that point of view. And they just have this, this magic that they do almost like an edgy vaudeville act of material that is really talking about some of the stuff that, you know, hopefully we're talking about in, in in tall boys, which is some of the First Nations are great embarrassment. Where's their water? You know, still, where's their water? 
And so I think they do that in such a funny way that we can, through them, we can kind of have a really articulate conversation about what is needed in terms of healing, but also they're super, super hilarious. So they're a duo that I started getting involved with, and now I'm hoping to do a show with them and a couple other people on the Canadian fur trade, but they're just <laughs> really funny, soulful guys, and I just just love them. Here they are, Folklords, Ben and Todd. Hello, gents. Hello. Hello. Thanks wow. so much for having us. Yeah, thank How you. How was that for an introduction from Bruce McCullough? I like honored, like completely honored and humbled. That was it was the nicest thing that anyone has ever said <laughs> about I'm, the I'm, I'm devastated. I lost control of my body. I, <laughs> I, I, I wept. I drooled. My God, and uh, Bruce, you know, since I since Bruce introduced me to to you guys, and I should have known. I'm embarrassed that I didn't know sooner. But I went down the wormhole of all those sketches and everything he says is bang on you guys take it to the nth degree and then then go further letters of the alphabet and you're talking about really really important things and uh it's obviously starting to take to take hold now todd you're from edmonton mm -hmm. bruce is from calgary so even though he's a canadian comedy legend was it tough to get a call from him and go yeah but he's from calgary <laughs> um yeah no like no i think like the i mean it's interesting the rivalry between edmonton and calgary because a lot of people say like oilers and flames is the the ri rivalry but it's like you know much older than that with the cree and the blackfoot territories so just so long as bruce isn't blackfoot i think he's okay <laughs> which you know that joke might make people feel uncomfortable but that's what decolonization is all about <laughs> No Blackfoot or Blackface on this show. That's our rule. I've never known why till just now. Uh, now, Ben, you're coming uh, to us from Waterloo today, but you were obviously out in, in Edmonton when you formed the group with Todd. Will you be going back to Edmonton to do more things after this, or are you based in Waterloo now? Uh, yeah, I love going back to Edmonton. My grandma still lives in Edmonton. I have some family there. I was there for seven years, and it was uh, an excellent place to be a young artists, uh, like you were talking about earlier, the parties are fabulous. The, uh, <laughs> the artistic energy and the possibilities to be like young with lots of ideas. It was the first place I ever learned about like grants being possible that someone could give you money to make a thing. And the, like the thing can be as out there as you want it. And Edmonton gave me those possibilities. So yeah, I hope we get back ASAP. When we were shooting our second season of the sketches with Todd a couple summers ago, it was the summer of like really, really brutal forest fires. And uh, we were driving around in a car. We were getting ready to shoot the thing. And Todd was smoking. And we couldn't tell if it was worse to have the windows rolled up or rolled down. Because there was, there was like a haze coming in from the outside, but also smoke on the inside. And it was like, that's that's not what I think of when I think of Edmonton. But that's why one of the things is like the post-apocalyptic dreamscape. Just, just a smoking fist fight. That's what the sign should say. Welcome to Edmonton, a smoking fist fight. <laughs> Now, for, for those who aren't familiar with your work yet, but they will be soon, one of my favorite sketches that I got to see was, was the statue, which was just such an, an interesting idea anywhere. It was just you guys are looking at this statue. You're like, what are they saying to each other? Now, it's depicting European settlers with indigenous peoples, obviously. And you guys, did you guys just look at a statue and be like, we can write a whole sketch on that? Because that is such a bizarre but simple and perfect sketch to me 
Yeah, I mean, like statues like that and artwork like that is in every Canadian city. It's always uh, it's always the same where the First Nations or the Indigenous person is always an unnamed person because, you know, we didn't have names until European people came here. And then also they're usually like naked and, and, and not dressed. <laughs> and right. these like, yeah, subconscious narratives kind of just show that like these people are primitive or they're lesser lesser advanced than the the finely dressed European next to them. So I think that idea is constantly in my head whenever I see certain things like that. So it was kind of an easy sketch to write. And and people talk about that in, in Native Studies University as well. Like the University of Alberta has a bunch of artwork like that and offers an Indigenous Studies course. So it's just always funny ironies when you live in a city as an Indigenous person. Also, the great thing about that sketch as well is you know, the fetishizing, the sexual fetishizing That's of right. the First Nations person. Like, yeah, he is kind of, he's kind of hot. And like, <laughs> to, to note that, and it's like, I'd never really thought about that. And obviously that's a big part of, I hope I'm not using a bad word, the savage. Yeah, it's a real sexual thing. And I think that that sketch really nails that. Yeah, totally. Every time it like panned down to the nipples and back <laughs> up and back down to the nipples and back up. <laughs> Hilarious. That, that yeah. statue is cut. That is like a hot, full spank bank statue. Like if you're ever, <laughs> where, if you're where in is Edmonton, it? It's in Edmonton. Of course it's in Edmonton. <laughs> it used to be, it's right beside the theater that we used to perform at with Rapid Fire Theater where uh, Todd and I got our start doing improv. But behind the big library right there downtown, uh, they had this like statue that we'd walk past every single day, just like pecs drilling into our the backs of our head as we walk away <laughs> yeah. but then they were renovating the library so they moved the statue and i had a bunch of different friends text me pictures of this like holding yard in the middle of um park somewhere else like a remote and it was just these like two two dudes the dressed european and the sexy indigenous man like waiting waiting for their moment to return to the spotlight <laughs> i i think some bachelorette stole it is what happened at the end <laughs> it's what i what i love about it as much as the writing and the just the idea is how it is shot and how it's cut you turn those statues into the characters for the sketch and essentially you you guys are commenting on it but it becomes a very quick cut play by play between the two and that's taken some training is that you guys that are learning how to how to shoot these things what we were talking about earlier not only do you have to make a funny idea now and block it out but you got to know how to shoot it because that's how you're delivering it yeah i mean like a lot of that we owe to our incredible director of the series but we used to perform that sketch just uh, with us on stage and then a picture of the statue behind us so yeah it's always a learning curve when we're going to film because I think we pick up some of these things every now and then but having somebody like a film director is is always valuable to just like oh wow you can really make a joke funnier by changing the camera or like tilting it or something like that there was uh, uh, look we're going to get to the fact that indigenous issues are at the root of a lot of the sketches as well they should be and you guys have an intelligent take on it you're you know you're it's comedy but you have very valid points within it. And one of my favorite sketches, which is actually done a few years ago, I think, and I was the two students just talking about taking indigenous studies in school. And the curriculum is like, I don't have, I shouldn't have to study this. I'm not going to give, I've already done it. I've already ruined a joke. Haven't I? Just by taking, I'm just, why am I being this guy? The guy that's like, you should see it. And then they do this. But the point is very valid is that we should have much more indigenous education as part of curriculums here. And you guys got that across in a one minute sketch that makes you that makes you just kind of shake your head at the end while you while you're laughing. Now, getting a little deeper into that is the sketch Care of the Kukum, where you take cultural appropriation a step further. 
Yeah, I think like just seeing people like Joseph Boyden and and I think that that's coming out a lot more and more these days about people sort of indigenous people calling out other indigenous people for taking up certain space that they maybe shouldn't without the experiences. I think whenever we see that or whenever we hear that, it's always like, what? You just couldn't resist. Like every you took everything and you just wanted some more. You wanted that wanted that title. So those feelings that come out whenever whenever I hear that, whenever a lot of other indigenous people or other people of color that that uh, have cultural appropriation affect them in a major way, I think that idea always comes out, and it always just makes me wanna wanna make fun of them. Mm-hmm. And with Boyden, it was like, you know, how can you zoom in on the 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 theft, the like bold faced theft of him being like, I I swear I'm native, you know, like let me write all these great books and like be the voice of a people and then but just don't look too closely you know how how bold is that so we were like what is a different lens to look at that bold theft at and for us it was like oh well what's an identity that even joseph boyden would balk at appropriating it's like oh grandmothers he's gonna <laughs> identify as a grandmother and like in retrospect there's you know we were th- we were worried is like is this transphobic and we talked to some trans friends of ours and got some feedback that it seemed okay, but open to open to notes about that for sure. But it's like <laughs> this guy who doesn't look like a woman, doesn't look like a grandma, doesn't really look Cree saying, no, I'm a cook I'm a Cree grandmother. That's that feeling of like, how dare you? That is so bold. Now you happen to be on this panel with someone whose troop is not, not really shy to dress up like women. Bruce, <laughs> is that something that you guys had to think of differently in the reboot for Kids in the Hall of, uh, or no? Not really. I mean, we're blues musicians. We play our guitars. You know, I I think our, you know, listen, we're all feminists. We're all humanists in the kids in the hall. We we never dress as women to make fun of women. We we do it to make fun of ourselves usually. And we're embodying a version of our girlfriend or our wife or someone we worked with. So I think our our mission statement has always been to make those people alive. And so there's nothing that we think is wrong with that. In fact, it's it, it's just it's part of our lexicon, really. And within the group, is there a consensus on who is the most attractive woman? Just who is not. And I okay. can't say those three names. <laughs> With Folklords, gents, where, where are you guys at right now? Have you just finished production on season two? Are you in production? What's going on? Yeah, we finished production on season two. We're in post-production right now. So we're just sort of like shopping it around and, and getting it off the ground. And yeah, it is like funny you mentioning earlier, like the difference between producing on stage and, and having film like on stage, You especially with improv, because we started as an improv troupe, you can co- go out and you can give it all your best. And then you you have something at the end of the night. You're like, wow, I really did good. But with film, you do your best and then you wait. 10 years like you just <laughs> just let it sit there for forever which and that's uh, as all of our advices have gone everybody's like yeah it takes it takes a long time so we're just in that that sweet sweet gray zone right now but we're so psyched on the material we've got like 20 sketches one of them we released god todd what is it called uh anti-racism healing circle fail lampooning <laughs> another it. canadian appropriator <laughs> old robert lepage for all the theater fans out on the internet so that one is like a taste of the second season which is like more animation more vfx more us playing multiple characters yeah, and the season is is chock full of that shit and we're so excited to release it plus we're like uh scheming so hard and so excited with bruce and uh, a couple of other friends we're trying to charge that chaotic energy of political, cultural, you know, commentary on power kind of comedy that we're excited about and make it about the fur trade. 
get get some beavers involved. <laughs> I, love, I love that idea. <laughs> Cru Dubois is back, baby. <laughs> the Truly. beavers have been active. Yeah. <laughs> beavers have been active lately. Like we had a beaver shut down the TTC in Toronto and then a True. beaver shut down the internet in Tumblr Ridge. Beavers are hot right now, guys. Beavers are, uh, some would argue beavers have always been hot. From Confederation, <laughs> they cleared the passage to the Northwest, Diana. Um, so you guys are, you're shopping this around. What What is this? Uh, what's the culture that we're working in right now? You know, when Kids in the Hall came up, there was a buzz around the city of Toronto, around the Rivoli, then it got bigger, then it got bigger, then they got to the States. Now, as we were talking about, you you put it out into the, the world can see it if they want to right away. So what is the pitch process like for you with something with an internet show, which is getting a big, a nice following? I mean, for me, if Bruce McCullough saw something I did and liked it, that would, it's, it's paid for itself at that point. But you guys are still going. What's what's next? We're We're still teaching together we 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 do improv when we can like recently we we got covid tests and i drove when i was living in montreal i just graduated from theater school there but i drove down to waterloo and we performed an improv show in the woods just by ourselves which was a first (laughs) and probably a last but it was absurd and very cool so i think yeah still teaching improv and still performing we just talked in the yukon digitally because we can do that now the nakai fest or nakai theater which is a, a wonderful theater like thinking of small towns in canada that have really great theatrical and, and performance scenes like that's absolutely one of them and very gracious and kind there like we meet all the time always on zoom and we're always scheming and always uh planning our next uh, year and and how we're how we're going to be working together now this is interesting so you guys are doing regular shows in two different locations but improvising together what is that like how do you manage that that energy that's got to be tough you got to leave more space you know like the internet is a dark wet pit <laughs> for um, for vibe and for energy in some ways so it's just like you got to step more cautiously on the on the edits on the beats so it changes the um, the rhythm i think of of comedy doing live stuff on, over zoom I also love sometimes just like getting off Zoom and like calling Todd. I think it can be so delightful yes. to like just hear him only in my ear and then my eyes are like out to lunch and and our brains can like bump into each other a little bit more more fluidly that way. So we'll often like call and and riff through ideas or hopes or dreams or like scary nightmares we had, anxieties we need to share with one another. I love you, Todd. You're my long distance girlfriend. In the <laughs> This just became a very different show. Yeah. I feel like I've I've connected you guys, even though you were already together. This is what I've found in the few shows that I've done online now is there's just more pressure on each word to be funny because you don't have any reaction. I used to be if I needed to write a five minute set, I could write three minutes and two minutes would be audience interaction and I could figure that out. Now it's five minutes has to be five minutes. And some people ask for an hour and I have to very politely tell them, no, 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 you don't want an hour. <laughs> no one wants an hour of comedy on uh, straight from one person online. Have you had any experience with that, Bruce? Or I mean, we've done a couple of kids in the hall things, usually for fundraisers or whatever. It is it is weird. I haven't done stand-up. I think stand-up is so experiential that you want the person to pause and move across the stage as they think. And, you know, in your case, look down at their beat sheet to figure out what they're going to say next. Yes. Um, but I do feel like that's all part of it the physical movement of people and coming together. And so the downbeat is really hard and the waiting is really hard, which is a really important part. It's like the rests in music is hard on uh, on Zoom or on the internet. 
That's the correct answer. <laughs> Let me take a real left turn. Earlier this year, Rick Santorum, and I, I hate saying the name, but this is back in the news now that uh, he basically claimed that uh, America started when European settlers came, that there was no Native American culture before that. He's obviously taking a lot of heat, but what's your take on that, Todd? Yeah, I mean, like, apart from being racist in saying that 42,000 years of culture is nothing, and I'm doing air quotes as well, he's also just completely wrong. Like, he says that there's no Native culture in American culture, but the American government was based on the Iroquois Confederacy government. So, uh, yeah, he's just, like, not doing research, which is the same with all racists. It's just that they're kind of dummies. <laughs> kind of dummies is, I think, being generous. They... I'm a little bit worried because, you know, we like to think, oh, that's down there. Uh, we're up here. We're in our own little uh, heavenly, heavenly place. But we've got those influences in Canada as well. Obviously, you guys aren't going to believe this, my Alberta friends, but some of the comments that I get are generated from Alberta that seem to be a little bit non-progressive. What can we do as uh, entertainers to, uh, to, you guys are doing it. You guys are doing it. You're taking on these topics directly and using them in, in humor, do you think that it's better to address the topics, take them right on, on the nose, or do you think it's better to kind of use satire and, and symbolism? Yeah, I think it depends on, the, depends on the issue and depends on the situation. I think, like we talked about this a bit before, Ben and I, we did like a, a vice thing, and it was the same thing of just like, how do you make comedy and not be a dick? And I think that so many comedians get hung up on like, those aren't funny jokes. And like, that's, that's, I think what they're really saying is it's difficult, but comedy has never been easy. It's, it's always been difficult. It's always been a, a skill and a craft to, to create something that is funny and that can make your, your brain subvert an idea in certain places. So it's just, it's always been the same. Like you always just have to be smart with the way that we tell our jokes and always make sure that you're punching up at the right person. I mean, if somebody is on the ground, you certainly don't want to kick them while they're on the ground. So diverting a lot of the discomfort that people have to the right places, because the oppressed people are not the ones making people uncomfortable. It's the oppressors usually. So wisely said. But what if it's two pickup truck drivers from Edmonton <laughs> and they're hitting each other down on the ground? Is that okay? <laughs> yeah, that, that's, uh, that's, uh, that's part of nature. That's, uh, <laughs> that's evolution. a natural thing. Bruce, do you have any other questions for the folk lords? No, I'm just so impressed with these young souls. I'm so excited to keep working with them and see what happens. And it's so great to be able to sort of reach across and be able to uh, work with another generation and another people from another cultural point of view. And I'm just so jazzed about it. I was so excited because not to toot our own horn for coming up with this idea for this podcast, but I think it's made... a great idea for a podcast. We right? should make it. We should we should record <laughs> next time. This has been a great dress rehearsal, everyone. But it made me so happy that we're doing this because this is exactly what I wanted to happen because I got so excited going down the YouTube rabbit hole of learning about you guys and watching the sketches and laughing my ass off. And uh, I can't wait to now tell everybody else that I know if you don't know these guys, you got to check them out. So thanks, Bruce, for introducing us to these guys, because you're right, the rest of Canada and the world, they need to uh, know about these guys. Well, thank you so much. It's, it's an honor. So I appreciate it. And check out the Folk Lords at FolkLords.com, Lords with a Z. Where'd the name come from? I, I, we, we, get, we need to know. Yeah, it was like our improv show was based on our own sort of cultural ancestries. Like we improvised a Cree like 
origin story, like a Cree myth, and we improvised a, a, a Chekhov scene based on Ben's <laughs> Russian ancestry. And uh, so we were like, it's it's folklore. It's folklore from our people. And and uh, we were, we came up with the the folklords after many different tries. But and we thought, what's what's a choice we can live with for a decade? How about a really <laughs> dumb spelling at the end of our, <laughs> our folk lords? There's no way we'll have to keep looking at that every day as emails come in, reminding us of our bad decisions. <laughs> we. we- we didn't even get into the Russian background, Ben, but I mean, uh, yeah, I don't know that I know a lot of Russians that are uh, climbing up the comedy stages here in Canada. So you, you might be a, in a field of one. Uh, I, I bet I bet there's others. But yeah, I was conceived in the Soviet Union, born 10 days after my parents landed in, uh, in Edmonton, as it happens, and uh, grew up speaking a lot of it. And uh, that like darkness, that sort of like sardonic um, weight that I think <laughs> lots of Russians feel and lots of people feel. But like that, that to me really vibes with, with Todd's energy of like raucous Cree warrior meets like depressed Russian, Russian moron. <laughs> that's a pretty, that's, that's a pretty your good network pitch, pitch right, right there, there, guys. <laughs> that is it. That's the elevator pitch. I'd buy that. But, but it's funny. Don't worry. It's funny. <laughs> that's my Kevin McDonald. <laughs> no, I, like, I like that Kevin McDonald. Bruce. Other than everything that you're doing that we've talked about already, are there other projects you have on the go that you can talk about at all right now? Or? Nah, I'm working on my marriage. <laughs> oh, oh, sorry. I'm not supposed to say that. No, no. Um, betw- between uh, Tall Boys, Kids in the Hall and the Folklords Project, I'm my thing is full. I love this so much. I uh, love that the Canadian comedy scene, it's, which has always been here, but is maybe coming into a renaissance as some people think because we can get it out there and, and all these things can be immediately out there and, and people can compare and contrast for themselves. And uh, please guys listen to everything that Bruce says because he's a living comedy legend and uh, he's made all the mistakes so we don't have to. And uh, that's, that's what I love about Bruce. Thank you for being on this guys. And uh, we wish you all the best of success. Thank you guys. Thanks. Thank, Thank you. you. Thanks so much for having us. That's so fun. The Canadian Star System is produced by Diana Francis and Steve Patterson in association with the Apostrophe Podcast Network. If you'd like more information on today's guests, please visit our website at canadianstarsystem.ca where you can find links to their work and their socials. Speaking of socials, you can follow at Canadian Star Pod and at Apostrophe Pod on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. And be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Our editor and sound technician is Donovan Deschner of Fracture Ephemer Productions. Music by Mark Camilleri of Imagine Sound Studios. Special thanks to Terry O'Reilly, Debbie O'Reilly, Callie O'Reilly, and Nancy Patterson, who is an honorary O'Reilly. So give it up to these good because I self-promotion sucks. And if they all went away, we sure wouldn't miss Canadian star system. I'll go to you first, Todd. Complete this sentence. The Canadian star system is... Coming back, baby. (laughs) (laughs) I love it.